0: Favre's the right footer here, but Griffiths, having got the goal, goes again!
2: Oh! Quick-fired and drives it, don't know, long, we over, oh, what a shot,
1: what a goal! Fletcher! It's Lucius McCulloch, saved it in! Barry Ferguson, Don't this again, it's done!
2: Right, Hamden Roar podcast, let's look ahead to tomorrow's massive game against Austria off the back of a 1-0 win at home to Moldova. Uh, I think that if anyone has participated in the social media scroll of doom in the aftermath of that game, we might have learned that it was a substandard, insipid, uninspiring performance. Must admit, Ben... You're the same boat as me. I was uh, away at the weekend. I was on a stag do So I actually only have seen the game on sports scene. I know that you have only seen the highlights as well, but we do have another guest with us, Gordon Sheargh, who was there in the flesh. So, Gordon, are the reviews accurate? Were Scotland shite or were Scotland decent, but uh, unable to finish off the copious first half chances that they had uh, and the ones in the second that they had to add to their 1-0 lead? I think I think it was it was as ever with everything in life. I think
0: it was a little from column A. I think it was a little from column B. I thought that game on Saturday. I'll be honest. I I always hate games like that. I mean, Scotland games at home against teams ranked in with three digit FIFA world rankings. We just we always seem to put in a performance that almost sort of drops to the opponent's level, which is always disappointing. I think we did create enough. We certainly could have scored more goals. We certainly should have scored more goals. We'll go on to talk about that. I think this is becoming the Achilles heel of the Scotland team. You know, the the last several games now, you can total them up. I think we've had about 60 or 70 shots on target. We've scored about two goals. That's unacceptable. Absolutely unacceptable at this level. Um, And yet, second half was really quite boring to be honest with you. Um but on the bright side look it was it was wonderful to be back. It was wonderful to be back at Hamden 40,000 fans. They were in good voice. There was a lot of singing. Funnily enough actually I found it really interesting. The songbook of the Tartan Army seems to have really evolved quite a lot because do a deer got like one rendition we'll be coming was barely sung at all. It was No Scotland, No Party. And Super John McGinn was the song that got sung over and over again through the game. So I found that interesting. Maybe the the Tartan army's evolving.
2: Hmm. Well, I'll try my best to bring back Doa certainly, in October. Even if I'm doing it myself, I wouldn't like to see that or We'll Be Coming disappear from the songbook. Um, Ben, I feel it's unfair to put you right on the spot. So chime in whenever you feel necessary, because obviously you haven't really seen the the game as a whole. But, um, Gordon, the chances that Scotland had... Uh, in the first half well, we'll, well, I'll come to the goal first of all I think it was really impressive that Nathan Patterson won the ball in the halfway line drove forward um, nice wee bit of link up play with Kevin Nisbet who I think Patterson did really well to adjust his stride to get on the end of that pass because Nisbet fluffed it a wee bit he played it behind Patterson instead of right into his stride and Patterson did really well to get a shot away and then Dykes was just instinctive I suppose in the right place at the right time but there were some other chances and um, the, the Tierney header in the first half should have been buried and then heading into the second as well. Andy Robertson missed one um, in the first half too. And then it was Gilmore, probably as I'm one to tell Billy Gilmore what to do. But it seemed like the logical option would have been to go to the keeper's right rather than tuck it in at the near post. Uh, and then Christie, uh, you would expect Christie to score them uh, just on this occasion. He, he couldn't. But overall... How do you assess the performance and the, the the chance creation? Because I understand what you're saying, that this is an Achilles Heel Scotland need to score, but and it's not the main thing that we're creating chances because the main thing is putting them away. But there are signs of life here. It's not like this is we're poking a dead body with a stick. I mean, Scotland are we're we're still doing okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would probably agree with that. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think that that was certainly the drum that I liked to bang through the Euros was that you'd much rather the team were creating chances and not taking them than not creating chances at all because that shows that we are closer to where we want to be, to where we aspire to be. And I think a game, in, a game on Saturday, you're going to get away with it, certainly, not taking chances like that. But when it comes to this game tomorrow in Austria... It, it, we're going to have to. You know, we, we may not get many. I know Israel scored five, but we may not get that many chances tomorrow night and we are going to have to take them. So, yeah, it, we need to see more. We, we do. We, we, we just need to eventually because it, it, there comes a point where promising and hopefulness and chances and things that could have, could not happen. We're at the back end. We're coming into the back end of this qualifying campaign now and we need to see results. So,
2: yeah. <laughs> Ben, is the, the problem with this that all it takes is a split second uh, in the dying minutes of the game and suddenly it's an embarrassment? For example, uh, a slack back pass from a centre-half to allow a defender and a goalkeeping howler, uh, the referee wrongly awarding a corner that leads to a goal. Like At 1-0, you can just never be sure, no matter who you're playing.
1: Oh, absolutely. And obviously from watching the highlights, it looked like they had a couple of chances. I think they had the one from the corner that was actually very close to going in the top corner. Um, so yeah, as, as exactly as you say, if you're not clinical, you can end up like brewing that. And I have to say, I felt a bit sorry for Clark looking at some of the uh, the reviews and the comments coming in because there's only so much a manager can do in terms of the a, a team's finishing. And I mean, These are good players that are getting these chances. I know Robertson had a good chance. Tierney had a good chance. Christie had a good chance. Gilmore had a good chance. There's not an awful lot that Clark can do. You know, the system is producing these chances. Eventually, it does come down to the players taking them. I know that he came out and he was talking about the mentality, you know, that they can do it in training and and there's more pressure on in the games. But for me, these players are used to big occasions and they're used to playing for big clubs. So... They really need to start digging their manager out a bit. I think. I think there are there are plenty of chances being created. It's not as if we're sitting back and creating absolutely nothing. Um, but obviously, going into this game against Austria, as Gordon says, we need to take these chances because you know we were strolling through Moldova by the looks of things at times, and that is not going to be the case uh, away at Austria.
2: Gordon, who or what impressed you against Moldova then? Well, I think obviously you've got to reserve a lot of praise for the fact
0: that that was Billy Gilmore's first start for Scotland at home. Um, Again, another game that he just strolled his way through, his technique, his touch, his control. His progressive passing was really good. I saw stats that said that no, no player played more forward passes than he did through the game. Again, another game that he picks up a Man of the Match award in. I mean, this is a guy who, if he plays all the Scotland games between now and the end of this calendar year, he'll have 10 caps. He's only 20 years old. There is no ceiling to how high this guy can go for Scotland. So I love to see him playing for Scotland because I, I don't know. I can't really remember the last time we had a player in, in Scotland's midfield that was just so calm on the ball that could take the ball in from any angle, turn, find a teammate. And that sounds simple because it is. And there are so many international teams that have dozens of players like that that make those things look simple. Scotland haven't had it. We do have it now. So that's wonderful. Um I think Nathan Patterson did, I think he did quite well. I thought I thought, I thought, thought a lot of the praise was maybe maybe a little bit overblown from him. I think he was maybe a little bit nervous towards the start of the game. I think he looked a bit like a player who I don't think has played a competitive minute for his club yet this season. So there was a couple of slack moments, you know, and again, against the higher quality opposition, he might get caught out in those sort of situations. But the promise that he did show in terms of getting forward, you know, we spoke before the game that, in a, in a match like a home game against Moldova, you want your wing-backs are going to have to play like wingers. So I think you judge Patterson on what he did going forward, which I thought was very good. There was particularly a moment in the second half where he was sort of driving forwards and there was two Moldova players ahead of him. And just with one drop of the shoulder, he cut in between both of them and drove through to create a chance. And that that's exactly the sort of thing you want to see from your wing-back. So yeah, stuff to build on. Obviously, he won't be playing tomorrow. He's dropped out of the squad, but he's he's got a big career ahead of him, hopefully.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, What did you think about Jack Hendry? Because Scott McTominay is probably the first choice on the right side of the defence at the minute. But as we discussed on the last pod, Jack Hendry's had a really good move. And there are always calls for McTominay to be moved back into midfield for Scotland. It doesn't really split the fans, but certainly varying um, opinions on it. Um, So do you think that Hendry is somebody that could go and take that jersey from McTominay on the right side of the defence and he does go back in there?
0: Not for me because I would still see I would still see McTominay's best position for Scotland as the right side of that back three. I think that's where he's played his best football for Scotland. But if he's not available to play that right side of the of the back three, I think Jack Hendry is the logical replacement because we've spoken. You know, to, if we're going to play three at the back, the way that you play that as attacking formation is to allow your outside centre backs, Tierney and McTominay or Hendry. They have to be able to build possession from the back. And I think that's that's something that just went so badly wrong against Denmark last week. Was that you know, you're talking about uh McKenna, Cooper, and Hanley, none of which are that player that can pass the ball out, they're just three lumps that defend and block. So we just didn't have any of that against Denmark. So yeah, I think I think if we are going to play the Progressive passing through defense. You need ball players at the back. So I think Hendry has shown himself that he more than deserved to be in the Scotland
2: squad, and I think it will all, it should generally be between him and McTominay on the right side. All right, uh, one player I'm interested in talking a wee bit about because there seems to be a a spot in the squad, probably not the starting lineup all the time, but probably a spot in the squad as the third striker. I think Dykes and Adams will always be there. I think the next one, Nisbet has it at the moment, but there are a few kind of always loitering around around that um, jersey, the third the third striking jersey. Nisbet got a start, got his opportunity against Moldova. Uh, and it, it, I heard them getting a bit of a hard time. I listened to the Sports Sound podcast on my way back up from England on Sunday and um, they, they were saying that Nisbet didn't do so much. But I, I think judging from the highlights anyway, there were at least three or four occasions where he linked the play really, really well on the edge of the box. Uh, for the goal uh, I did say that um, a minute ago that his pass for Paterson was a bit behind him but it, we profited from it and Paterson did well to adjust he also put in the really nice ball that Gilmore slotted wide of the post rather than into the corner and there were a couple of occasions it uh, would have been in the first half then as well where he played a couple of nice one-twos on the edge of the box I think one of them might have been for Robertson to get in behind not the one that he he shot over it was a different passage of play but um, on, on more than one occasion Ben it looked like Nisbet Uh, had the intelligence, the awareness, the spatial awareness to to link up with the midfielders coming forward?
1: Yeah, I think that's what's really impressed me with Nisbet, probably over the last year. Um, Initially, when he came through, I really thought that he was just sort of a box centre-forward, that his his whole, you know, his best uh, attribute was his finishing. But to me, the more I've seen him play for Hibs recently as well, his link-up play is so smart, so clever. And I think that's why he's attracting the sort of glances from bigger clubs, because there are a lot of guys that can score goals, but if you get a striker that can finish and that can also link up with other players and bring them into play, you know, they're worth even more. And I think you're seeing that intelligence from him. I think he was really unlucky not to have a couple of assists. You know, he, he, some of those passes he was laying on, on a plate, you know, if he, if he was getting the reverse pass himself, he probably would have finished. Um, So I think he's got a really bright future um, for Scotland. And I think, you know, working with Dykes as well, Dykes, it's slightly, you know, probably more powerful. Can hold the ball up really well. So I think the two, I think, could work. Um, and I have to say, I've been impressed with this. But
2: John Bleesdale, regular listener, Gordon has has got in touch with a fair point. Um, it might it might seem trivial on the face of it, but with this style of play, it probably does matter. Given how attacking sometimes the fullbacks are are asked to be against some of the smaller nations or uh, in the games where we're expected to to compete now. Robertson uh, missed a, a fairly good chance there against Moldova at the weekend. He missed a similar one against the Czechs in the opening game of the Euros, and he missed a very yeah. similar one against Serbia in the playoff last year. I also remember him blazing one from a similar angle in the 2-2 game against England at Hampden. Mm-hmm. Is this an aspect of his game that for Scotland, Robertson seriously needs to, to work on a wee bit? Probably, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess
0: for for balance, you probably do have to add in the uh, the goal that he scored against Cyprus in Steve Clark's first game, which again was probably from a sort of similar position on the left left hand oh, side it? of the box, Sorry. outside the box.
2: Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, screamer. Clark's first game. Yeah, yeah, really, really yeah, yeah. good,
0: absolute screamer. Caught it perfectly. I mean, I don't know. There's there's something about it. the the, the common denominator of all those chances seems to be. Robertson is running onto the ball like the one against Cyprus he was able to take a a square pass control it himself set himself up and then shoot whereas those ones that we're talking about he's either running with the ball or running onto the ball and I don't know I mean part of me almost wonders is that you know Robertson he clearly loves playing for Scotland so much you know you listen to him speak he values playing for Scotland he values being captain so much and part of you wonders does, does he kind of just get a bit of a is naming lights moment. I mean, I know you, you shouldn't, given how experienced he is, but when it is something that's so close to his heart, that I don't know. Does, does he kind of
1: panic a little bit? He's got a bit, sure? a it, bit overwhelmed. He wants to yeah, put so I think much it's into the pressure. it. Pressure. I think there's just so much more pressure on him to do well, and we've seen it before with players that have played for, say, Man U or Liverpool. You know, players that have played for big clubs. They're expected to be a nine out of ten for Scotland every time they play, which is unrealistic, mm. but the chances that you've mentioned there, they are ones that he should be slotting. And that one against the, the Czechs in that opening Euros game to go one up, that was a massive opportunity. He actually had a lot of space and time there. Yeah. And that was one that a player of his standard, he really should have been slotting. So for me, I think it's the the pressure and the responsibility of maybe not even the armband, but maybe just being assumed to be one of the best players. He mm-hmm. feels like he has to do everything perfectly. And he's not just going off that gut instinct that serves him so well for Liverpool,
0: because all of those, all of those chances, you know, he's putting so much into the shots. He's trying to really hammer it into the back of the net that he's putting them over the bar. So he's mm-hmm. not just calmly picking the spot. And I, I think Ben, you're you're absolutely right that you know when he's playing for Liverpool, he knows that if he takes a shot on and he misses it, well, Manny will score in five minutes, or Salah, or Firmino. You know, there, there's other guys that will more than shoulder the responsibility of scoring goals for him, but.
2: Yeah, maybe, maybe there is something to that when he plays for Scotland. Right then, overall reflection on Moldova. Is it just as simple and acceptable enough to say 1-0, job done? Because we saw that Austria uh, beat them narrowly as well um, the other week. So although Moldova are not a great side, at the end of the day, it's a qualifying group. And we've, we've done the most important thing, although it would have been nice and a good confidence booster for the squad and the fans probably. If we were able to to score a second and then go on and beat them comfortably after that. Yeah, and and and
0: and especially when you consider that in this group it's goal difference that's going to break the tie first. So and currently looking at the goal difference, Israel have got plus eight and we're plus three. So we're five behind them. So games like that, your home games against the lower seas, those are games that you really want to be seeing us boosting the goal difference. But the bare minimum is win. And now all that matters is what
2: we do tomorrow. Ben, are you satisfied?
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, You always want more in life. Generally. You always want more in life. In fact, bring bring Jen in, we'll ask her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think I'm I'm glad that Patterson got his chance. It's a real shame that he got injured because I would have... I'm not sure if he would have started against Austria, but he certainly would have been a great option to have. Um, But yeah, I think the fact that Gilmore played really well, again, just kind of cements him into that midfield. I think Dykes scoring again is a positive. Nisbet playing well and linking up the play well. I thought Christie looked really busy from the uh, just from the highlights. I don't know how he was throughout the whole game, but he looked like he was really driving from midfield, which I love. I think that works really well. Um, so
2: was, yeah, I think- the, was was the setup? Sorry, with the, the like four center mids in a square behind Dykes.
0: No, oh, I, like, sorry, so like McGreg-
2: I, I so like McGregor and Gilmore, and then in front of them. Uh, McGinn and Christy well
0: well, no because McGregor McGregor came off the bench because originally it was it was it was it it, it, it was Gilmore sort of sitting deep and then Christy and McGinn playing both as
2: eights effectively and then Nisbet and Dykes up front Oh, uh, Nisbet, fuck's sake, I yeah, yeah. feel so yeah. out of the not watching the game, man.
0: <laughs> I'll tell you, I mean, I think, um, so McGinn, McGinn's certainly impressed. It was very good to have him back. Um, I guess one one caveat I do sort of probably have to throw into the performance is that we do have to kind of remember that quite a few of these players are looked fairly rusty and they've not had a lot of football. I mean, speaking about Robertson, you know, Robertson had that bad injury in pre-season, just at the end of pre-season, missed oh, yeah. a few games. Yeah. He only came back for one game for Liverpool. McGinn had COVID and has just come back. Patterson's barely kicked the ball for Rangers this season. So, I mean, you know, th- there are mitigating circumstances there that th- those players were not quite fully at it quite yet.
2: All right, okay. Well, let's have a, a chat about Austria now. Cal McGregor was up for the presser today saying, Ben, it's a must not lose. Do you take much interest or care with these sound bites and, and stuff?
1: Well, as a journalist, yeah, that's, that's kind of, uh, that's what we're into. Um, and you, you pick up the sort of message, I often think that you're picking up the message that the, that's what the manager is passing on to them. And to be honest, must not lose to me, doesn't massively fill me with confidence that we're going to Austria to try and win, um, which, yeah, I'm slightly concerned about that. I would much rather that he said, you know, that they're going to go, they're going to go to Austria full of belief that they can win. Whereas when you're saying, well, I think that it's a must not lose, you're kind of setting your stall out that a draw will be acceptable. And it may well be in the long run. But for me, I would rather have had a bit more of a positive message coming out and saying, we'll go and try and win this game. We know that Austria are on the, off the back of a very heavy defeat. Um, I, I wouldn't have any problem with them coming out and being a bit more ambitious because I'm not sure that sends out the most positive message uh, heading into this massive game.
2: Are they just trying to take some pressure off their shoulders? Maybe that they feel there's an expectation on us to go and to go and beat Austria, Gordon.
0: Probably, yeah, yeah. But by then, I, th- I think also the the implication is that you know anything other than a win shouldn't be interpreted that the group's over. I mean, I think I think if obviously if we if we lose tomorrow night, then we'd be in a very very difficult situation. I mean, obviously, I'm sure a lot of our predictions for the, this game tomorrow is going to be hinging on. Denmark beating Israel which I think is is critical because really if we were to if even if we were to get a draw but then Israel would somehow beat Denmark then we're in big trouble for second place um but I I I agree with Ben I'm not a massive fan of saying it's a must not lose um I think especially I mean if if you if you look at look back at the highlights of Israel against uh, Austria I mean some of the goals that Austria conceded were almost schoolboy level. I mean, it, an absolute shambolic performance. Um, what I worry about, though, is that a lot of those goals came from just Israel being really, really busy in the final third, pressing high, winning the ball off Austria defenders and just being utterly ruthless in converting those chances. And I'm just thinking, can I see a Scotland team going and mimicking that? I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure I've seen us play like that for for quite a while. So it's, it's a concern for me.
2: Yeah, to... T- It's one thing to be put in the position to profit from it, but actually doing so is is a totally different thing. To rob Austria and then break at pace, but then having the conviction to go and finish off the chance is really the sticking point here, isn't it? Because I've said it so often that when Scotland come forward, I feel that sometimes we pass the ball too slowly. We don't look like we really believe we're going to go and stick the ball in the back of the net. Uh, and I would like players to take on a bit more responsibility and bravery in the opposition final third, whereas it seems sometimes that, well, Israel, prime example, I know they've got some cracking players going forward, Solomon, Zahavi, of course, who just doesn't stop, really, Um, but so do we, Uh, and I just really would like to see that more often from us conviction and belief that, right, we've got the ball, we're going to go and hurt you with it, rather than we will try to hurt you with it.
1: Yeah, I think it's really critical how we start the game as well. You look back at the Serbia, um, the playoff final, if you look back at Wembley against England, uh, the Euros, we started those games with such a high intensity. We were pressing really high. We were chasing them down. We weren't letting them settle. Whereas when with the Denmark last week, it was like the polar opposite. It was like, oh, we'll sit off. We'll let you have the ball. You can pass it around. Try and break through us. And they did it twice uh, very quickly. Um, for me, it's so vital, especially with Austria. You know, there's a lot of pressure on the manager. There's a lot of pressure on the players. They're missing a few key players. If we can get right in their faces and really press high and, as you're saying, hopefully break on them when we get those opportunities, then we really do have a chance. But if we sit in and let them dictate and let them pass it and get possession, get confident, get the fans behind them, then it could be a very long evening. So I really think it's critical that we don't just sit in and hope for the best in the first 10, 15 minutes. Do
2: you think it feels a wee bit like, with the must-not-lose approach to the Austria game, that we're putting all our eggs in the basket of beating Israel in the next match at Hampden, which is by no means uh, a guarantee. To be honest, at the moment, I'm not even sure I would have us as outright favourites for that match. And The way that meetings between Scotland and Israel have gone recently, and the... Um, the way that they dispatched of Austria uh, was really quite terrifying, if I'm honest. Uh, So I'm not too sure that we can accept a draw against Austria in the hope that we just go and beat Israel because it's, it's not going to be as simple as that. Although what I will say is whatever order it comes in, one then three or three then one, I think four over the next two games against Austria and Israel is a decent return, Gordon. I think we could maybe get away with that. Four is acceptable in my opinion. I think,
0: yes, I think four would probably do, especially when you then look at our then, subsequent fixtures. That then we, after Israel, we go away to the Faroe Islands and away to Moldova. So you'd expect you'd certainly demand six
2: further points. Sh- sh- that, just, just to interject there, sorry, that my opinion there does hinge on Denmark beating Israel yes, tomorrow. I think, I think, I think, yeah. I think, everything absolutely yeah. everything hinges
0: on Denmark beating Israel, and frankly, really, Denmark just continuing. To beat everybody really, um, yeah. Because we're, we're, Denmark...
2: we're, we're competing for second here, aren't we? First is yes. long gone, first yeah. is gone, first yes. is
0: gone, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because then, because then Denmark have Austria at home in October, um, and then obviously come to play us at Hamden on the final day, which we've spoken about before that we hope we won't need to get anything out of by then, but we may need to, um, but yeah, I think I think the, the the entire outlook of this group hinges on these next two games, so it's. Us away in Austria and then us at home to Israel. So, yeah, four four points. We we can't lose either. We we absolutely
2: cannot lose either. And you never know. We may need to win both. Ben, four good enough, or of course we, we would love six and and that would put us in an absolutely phenomenal position. But if if we get to these next, if we get through these next two games with four points, I think we're we're looking pretty rosy as long as Denmark do or keep their end of the bargain.
1: Yeah, I think, it, as we said, it depends on what Israel then do in their remaining games. If they were to pick up points in Denmark where no one else does, then that that may be a swaying factor. I, I really think these next two games are almost like cup finals. You know, if we can win these two and then, as Gordon says, we go into the next two games, the Moldova and the Faroes, you know, we could we could actually be we could have seconds sewn up before Denmark even come to Hamden for the last game. So that's obviously the position that we would all love to be in. So to be honest, I feel like if we don't win in Austria, it will end up being another story where we have to beat Denmark on the last game of the qualifying campaign. And it might not happen. How many times has that happened in recent years? That's my real gut fear. So that's why I don't really want to approach this Austria game as must not lose, because I feel like that's going to put us, it's a bit of a gamble. We're hoping that everything goes our way. When does that generally ever happen? And so <laughs> yeah. we'll end up needing to beat Denmark, and you know, as we think Denmark may well have already qualified, but they still don't want to lose games. Um, they've still arguably got better players than us on paper. So I really there's don't no, want no to arguably about game. that. No. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> it's. Uh, I know it's hard. It's it's a lot to ask because obviously, I mean, Austria ran Italy very close at the Euros mm. in the last sixteen, and Italy went on to win it. So I've heard a lot about them being in sort of free fall, but I've not seen that apart from the Israel loss, obviously. um, you know This is a team that got to the last 16 of the Euros in the summer, so you don't suddenly become a bad team. I know it's a big ask, but for us to qualify, I really do think that we we probably need to win this game uh, tomorrow night. Yeah,
2: I heard again on the the Sportsline podcast, I think it was uh, maybe in Willie Miller or Billy Dodds or, or one of them anyway saying exactly that that Austria are in free fall um but I think again this just comes down to a lot of people here and, and I, including myself I, I wouldn't be able to point out probably nine of the starting 11 for Austria if you walk past me in the street or chat my door but I think that we can recognize that they are um a, a strong nation as you said Ben they took Italy all the way in the last 16 and I think that the opinions to say that they're in free fall and that you Know that this is a, a great time to, to get them, but as if they're a, a broken team rather than a scorned team, it just speaks to the fact that we don't know that much about them, so we'll just say that they're not up to much,
0: yeah. But I think, I think you know, we, we but then again, again, you know, again, this is this is something that Scotland always do as well that you know, we do give a lot, we do seem to give a lot of respect to opponents, you know, and Ben's absolutely bang on that you know, how often have you seen Scotland play teams? and we give them time and space on the ball. And there's nothing more true in international football that if you give teams time and space, they will grow in confidence and then they'll hurt you. So I think we have to find a way of respecting what they are, but appreciating the opportunity that is there for us. And the fact that this is an Austria team coming off a terrible result of the weekend. Sasha Kalajic, their striker that scored two against us in March, is injured for the rest of the year. Marcel Sabitzer is injured. So, you know, the opportunity is there for us. And again, Ben is absolutely bang on that if we can somehow win these next two games, if we beat Austria, then we beat Israel. And assuming that Denmark could beat Israel, we'll be sitting four points clear of Israel and Austria with three games to go. And obviously, two of our games are away at the Pharaohs and away at Moldova. So that <laughs> second would be very much in our hands in that sense scenario. Um, so I just feel like that opportunity is too big to half go for it and then maybe get a point and then like we say end up needing to get something from Denmark we could take this right now you know and I feel like we've said before these are the games that we need this team to show what they've been building towards you know this has been a two year project under Steve Clark. they need to deliver now this is this is go time for this team
2: yeah um, well we said after the, the Denmark game why do we try and predict Scotland 11s we always get it wrong everyone always gets it wrong but let's give it another bash, shall we? So I think we can safely say that Craig Gordon will play against Austria in nets. Yep. Um, Robertson and Tierney, and they are rightful or most leftful. Yeah, most. Uh, yeah, very good. They're uh, they most habitual places for Scotland of recent times. Anyway, Hanley in the middle, he's fit. Um, yep. Jack Hendry probably next to him, uh, and it will be Stephen O'Donnell because Nathan Patterson. Uh, has pulled out the squad, injured. He's away back to Rangers, yep. out of the squad also today. Ryan Fraser and, help me out, who else? I've got a mind Kenny blank. McLean. Kenny McLean. So, yeah, the right-back slot is uh, uh, Stephen O'Donnell's uh, left-back, Andy Robertson, and then the three in the middle, Tierney, Hanley and Henry. So, just one change in defence, guys, uh, from, yep. from the Moldova game.
1: Yeah. I would say so, yeah. I'd agree on, with that. Yeah, I deep. can't see him playing... Uh, some uh, Paul McGain in for a debut in Australia. <laughs> to be honest,
2: look, can you imagine him though? Maybe picking somebody that he maybe associates more with being a rock or a defender rather than Jack Hendry.
0: You could. I hope, not. But I hope not. I really hope not. You know, we need to we need to retain possession. You know, we need to be able to build from the back, and yeah, it's essential that we do that.
1: I think that would be very telling if he if if Clark decided to do that. I think that would be an insight into what he is wanting from this game. And similar to Denmark, when he played three very defensive centre backs, you know he's thinking, oh, we sit in, and if they break on us, then we've got three centre backs. But this whole system revolves, as we always say, about getting the ball out from the back. So Hendry absolutely has to play in that position.
2: Well, it, it would. It would probably have to be Gallagher, and unless Hanley was moved out to the right because he's right-footed and then Cooper or McKenna were played in the middle, if that's how Clark was minded. But I'm with you guys here, and I think that uh, it should be Hendry, um, because as we've discussed as well after the Denmark game last week, I think that having two players comfortable in the ball either side of the, the main centre half to bring it out is, is vital to the whole system. So yeah, we're in agreement there. Callum McGregor didn't start against... Uh, Moldova, nice wee rest for him for a wee while tends to play every minute of every season um recently. So um yeah, we expect him to come back into the team alongside Billy Gilmore probably to to play again. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah, I think so. I like that like that duo.
2: Okay. And this is where it gets interesting. Does he then play two attacking midfielders such as Christie and McGinn or maybe Turnbull? Um two of those three and then with just Dykes and Adams or Nesbit maybe up front or does he play one of the attacking mids and two strikers guys?
1: Yeah, see this is where I really struggled everything else is dead simple and then you get there and I've got McGinn slash Christie, Adams slash Christie, and Dykes for me I think Dykes has to has to start we've seen the system doesn't really work unless you have someone with a bit of presence up front Um, that then it's about who can be the most dangerous for me. Um, I have to say, I I thought Christie looked really good against Moldova from the highlights, and I really like the way he drives the ball forward, which I think is really important when you're trying to play on the counter-attack, and I just love John McGinn. So for me, it's maybe Adams that drops out for me and that has has to come on and make an impact off the bench. I quite like McGinn and Christie both supporting Dykes and both making those driving runs. And they've both got a good finish on them as well if the chances crop up.
2: So, yeah, for me at the
1: moment, it's Adams.
2: Would would that point bend towards more of a long ball game, though? Because I think Christie and McGinn would then be feeding off what Dykes can produce rather than the midfield taking the game to the forward players and linking up with, Um, two of them, if Dykes and Adams were to start together.
1: Well, I would argue against that because you've actually got more midfield options to come in and get the ball off of Gilmore and McGregor because their whole whole game at that position would be to get the ball and to find a midfielder. It doesn't have to go long. You could be playing in Christian McGinn. It relies a lot on Christian McGinn making good runs and really supporting each other, but they're talented enough to do that. Um, So... I think they could make it work. And I would actually say that that would be a system more set up to keep the ball. Because sometimes when you play two up front, they can get isolated because there's not a midfield link and you end up playing longer and just hoping that one of them feeds off the other. Whereas if you engage the whole midfield, I think you actually have more possession and you can create chances from that if the attacking midfielders are clever enough.
2: Okay. Gordon, what do you think? Two attacking midfielders or two strikers? No, I think I'm going to respectfully disagree
0: with Ben there. No, for me, it's 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 McGinn in front of uh, McGregor and Gilmore, and it's Dykes and Adams up front because I think you're right. I think Dykes can and should win things in the air, and Adams has got the legs and has got the spatial awareness and the tactical awareness to be able to drop deep into spaces and build with the ball and link up with McGinn, link up with Dykes. So, no, I think I think that's that's that, that's it for me. It's got to be Dykes
2: and Adams up front together. But Adams. Quite a useful impact player, though, if he does start on the bench, he is, but I'd, I'd just much rather have him playing for, from the
0: start, you know, because I think you know, <laughs> give him more time to make more of an impact. I, I, nah, I, I
2: don't know, I, I, I'd, I'd still much rather have him from the start. What, uh, what, I, I don't even know what my I, I was going to throw in my toppings worth there, but I don't even know what I would do. Um, so I was going to say, you uh, got the deciding vote, so yeah, uh, yeah. A, no, uh, I.
1: <laughs> Is it Christie or Adams? Basic. For me, it's is it Christie or Adams? And uh, Christie could certainly play my, further my, forward and play off Adams. Man's
2: uh, my instincts telling me, Man's instincts telling me Dykes and Adams. So yeah, two on one.
1: Yeah, fair yeah, enough. yeah around you then.
2: See.
1: <laughs> well, we'll, we'll see, and we'll also see if it works or not. You know, he, he wow, may well, well play the most Adams and Dykes, but it didn't work against Denmark. So we shall see. But we're obviously all hoping that it's better than the Denmark game.
2: Oh yeah, oh god yeah, yeah, god. Um well, less than a minute left on the the Zoom. We've still not upgraded to pro here at Hamden Road. Um <laughs> so uh, less than a minute to go. So quickly Gordon then we'll come to you Ben the uh the confidence levels for tomorrow. Um 1.3 points or no points. My confidence my confidence is not particularly high to
0: be honest and I, I need to see more from this team. Um one point. I'll take one point right now. Mm.
2: Ben, one point.
1: Yeah, I think I think we'll get a point, and I think we'll end up regretting it. I think we'd actually have needed three. That's that's what my gut and following this country for so long is telling me.
2: Okay, I'll take one point, and I'm not sure if it'll be a good one until the Israel game at Hamden is done in October.
1: Yep. All right. Fair point. Fair Cheers, fellas. All right. Cheers, guys. Podcast Network.